A quick warning before we begin. This episode will contain the names of people and places that are entirely fictional, which I'm sure to mispronounce often. I hope you'll find it in your heart to forgive me. Enjoy the show. Between the years when the oceans drank Atlantis and the rise of the sons of Arius, there was an age undreamed of, when shining kingdoms lay spread across the world. Hither came Conan, the Cimmerian, sword in hand. It is I, his chronicler, who knows well his saga. Now let me tell you of the days of high adventure. Welcome to another episode of Hither Came Conan, the podcast with melancholies so gigantic that it could fund the entire psychiatric industry for a decade. You know, if only it had the money, which, of course, it doesn't. In fact, it has no money at all, hence all the melancholy. I'm your host, my name is Steven, and seriously, folks, I'm not sad. I'm broke, sure, but sad? I mean, now that you mention it, the lack of money doesn't help. I mean, seriously, folks, I am so broke. How broke are you? I am so broke that I'm using my empty wallet as a paperweight for my dreams. Wow. Wow. That was that was really, really sad. Okay, how about this one? I am so broke. How broke are you? I am so broke that I'm considering renting out my pockets as storage space. hey But again, seriously, folks, we're not here to talk about my lack of coin or even to point out how my life so closely resembles the first few lines to the opening verse of Paid in Full by Eric B. and Rakim. You know, thinking of a master plan because ain't nothing but sweat inside my hand. So I dig into my pocket, all my money's spent, so I dig deeper, but still coming up with lint. I mean, damn, sometimes I feel that that right there, that is my whole entire life right now. But once again, that's not why you've chosen to dial in to this little bit of podcast gold, not to hear me scream and cry about money. No, you're here for comics, more specifically Conan comics, and to narrow it down even more. Conan the Barbarian number eight from Heroic Signatures and Titan Comics. This issue hit the stands on Wednesday, February the 28th, 2024. And the title of the story is Thrice Marked for Death, Part 4, Sacrifice. It was written by Jim Zub with art by Doug Braithwaite, colors by Diego Rodriguez, letters by Richard Starkings. Chris Butera was our editor on this issue while Matt Murray was the consulting editor. Into the boat! Previously in Conan the Barbarian number 7. Following a raucous night of celebration, Conan of Sumeria found himself attacked by Chandra, an ally possessed by nefarious spirits. Forced to slay the woman, Conan wandered the streets of Shadazar in a daze, haunted by memories that have become debased until he found his way to the hidden hideout of the Glory Hounds. Yet inside, he found the Thieves' Guild members slaughtered by their own. The Sumerians' former friends similarly possessed swords and sickles set to kill. 
After a vicious battle that would have felled any normal man, Conan was confronted once again by the evil let loose in the Temple of Bell, and soon found his own body invaded by those cruel specters who named Conan their latest weapon in service to a greater evil. As the story in issue 8 begins, we are in Conan's past, once more back with him on the Tigris, the pirate ship of his one true love, Belit, Queen of the Black Coast. The big Sumerian is on deck with the other sailors, and he's sparring with a man called Lanier and showing him how to kick ass the Conan way. As the two finish up, Belit arrives on deck and asks Conan if he would like to spar with her. Conan notices that Belit is holding the ancient picked blade, the sword he had acquired from Brissa at some point in the first four issues. And he tells Belit that, yeah, they can cross swords anytime, but not with that blade. Belit asks him why. What's so special about the old sword? Is it an heirloom? Something passed down to him by his father? His mother? Maybe even a former lover? That last bit she says in such a way that there is no mistaking that she is aware of just how special the blade is to Conan, and that she may be more than a little jealous. And so she steps up to the railing and threatens to cast the blade into the sea. Conan grabs her up and stops her from throwing the sword. He tells her that her petty jealousy is beneath her, and that all that matters is that he is with her there and onward until the end. This pacifies the pirate queen, and the two share a passionate kiss. Shifting to the present, Conan is striding down one of the many streets of Shadazar the Wicked. The big barbarian looks a little off. His eyes are blank, and his face is expressionless as he lumbers along. Looking at him, one might guess that the Sumerian could be possessed. In fact, if you're thinking that he is possessed, possibly by three spirits that had previously been residing inside a black stone that just might be made from one of the building blocks of all evil in the known world, then you would be right. That is exactly what's going on with Conan right now. And these three spirits that are inside the Sumerian, controlling him, they begin to rifle through his memories. They see how Conan used the ancient picked blade, the sword that was once a spear, to try and break the vessel, just as Brule had tried generations before. And while the blade won a victory for Conan that day, it was minuscule compared to the war that has been raging for ages. But the spirits move on, crawling through the barbarian's head like spiders. They see Conan trekking through the jungles of Kush following the death of Belit, and they watch as he uses the picked blade against a shape-changer who had tried to end the Sumerian's life there in the grasslands. Eventually, Conan finds his way to Shadazar, where he drowns his broken heart in alcohol, drinking until he spends the last of his coin and is forced to sell the picked blade in order to continue imbibing. The three spirits seeing this memory are incensed. They yell at Conan. He is their weapon, a weapon for Thulsa Doom. And they tell him that he has to get that blade back for their own nefarious purposes. And so, working through Conan, they visit the shop of Jolly the Trader, where, after killing the shopkeeper's nephew, the Sumerian and his controllers follow the trail of the blade all over the city of Shadazar, leaving bodies in their wake, until finally they arrive at Terminus, a museum of ancient relics. There they find the sword, 
And as Conan gets his hands on it, he's able to wrest control of his own body from the three spirits. It's only for a moment, but those few precious seconds allow Conan to... Well, I'm not willing to spoil the ending to this one, folks. You'll, you'll just have to read it yourself. Okay, so first off, before we get into my thoughts and my favorite bits and all that, I just wanted to point out that friend of the show, Greg Hersom, got a letter published in this issue. Greg's the guy that sent us our very first email. It was way back after episode number one, The Frost Giant's Daughter, and I had read it out on the third episode, The Scarlet Citadel. In his letter to Chainmail, which is the letters column over there on the Titan Conan the Barbarian comic, Greg says, I've been a big Conan fan since before my mom would even allow me to have the comics. And this series by Titan and Heroic Signatures is the best Conan pastiche ever. It just oozes the blood and thunder of Howard's spirit. Please keep on with Conan's philosophizing like at the beginning of issue six, when Conan is giving us his outlook on the gods of the Hyborian Age. I can't get enough of the wandering Sumerian's thoughts on everything. I mean, we all know his feelings on civilization versus barbarism, but I want to know how he thinks about his whole world. Greg. The good folks at Conan the Barbarian responded to Greg, saying, Greg, we love hearing from readers who understand there's more to our mighty Sumerian than hulking muscle. There's a depth to Conan that some casual observers may not understand, though they should. In issues to come, you'll be pleased to find a fair bit more of his observational musings in between bouts of reaving and sword swinging naturally. So yeah, that's pretty cool, Greg. And you know what? I agree. I want to see more of Conan's musings on stuff, especially the most mundane shit possible. Like when it comes to the little fur trunks, which animal provides the most comfort? You know, what keeps his nethers warm while still allowing his boys to breathe but doesn't rub, chafe, or irritate. Which does he prefer, boots or sandals? When he's out on a job, you know, when he's going to steal something and he's scaling a wall, he's got that ingrained Sumerian talent to do so without any tools, but would he prefer the use of a rope? Maybe a grappling hook? How about weapons? We've seen him use both sword and axe, sometimes at the same time, but which does he prefer and why? It seems that the sword is his weapon of choice, but what causes him to pick up a great big double-bladed axe now and then? And in all of his travels, where can one go just to get a nice piece of fish, some good wine, and maybe eat in peace without a lot of fighting and stabbing going on? This is what we want to know. I got to know! Now, back to Greg. With us, here over on Hither Came Conan, Greg's first email led me to believe that he was going to email us on a fairly regular basis. And I got to say, Greg, I feel like I haven't seen an email from you in a while. What's up with that? Feedback at hithercameconan.com. Make it happen, Cap'n. While I wait for your email, Greg, how about we look at Stephen's, Stephen's favorite, favorite bits? So the cover for this issue was done by Ashley Eisenicki. And according to her Patreon, she's a freelance illustrator and tattoo artist living in sunny California with her pup Bjorn. And it's not your typical Conan cover. And I kind of dig it. 
It's Belit hanging off the side of the ship, carrying, she's got a big sword in her hand. And it's it's a nice looking cover. I'm I'm a big fan. I always then forget to talk about the alternate covers for these issues, but the B cover was done by Patch Zerker, and it's a King Conan image. Really like it. But I think my favorite of the three covers that we have here is cover three by Greg Broadmoor. And I don't know what it is about this cover. I just really like it. Conan shirtless wounds all over him. He's bleeding. He's got blood on his sword. He's got things sticking out of his back. Like I think they're freaking arrows that he's broken off. And it's a, it's a nice looking cover getting into the issue. It was nice to see that the picked blade is going to come back into this, that Conan at least for a time still had it. And this moment here in the past during this flashback with Belit and Conan, where she obviously knows there's something special about this sword that it was probably given to him by a former lover. And she's a bit jealous about that. And rather than just come right out and say it, she's being, I don't know if you'd call this passive aggressive, but at one point she's ready to throw the sword into the ocean and Conan stops her and reaffirms his commitment to her, you know, to be with her until the end of their days, whenever that may be. In this case, not very long for Belit. And then when we jump into the present and we get this splash page, it's the title page, Thrice Marked for Death, Part 4, Sacrifice, and we see Conan front and center stalking the streets of Shadazar. He's kind of bent over and he just looks, he looks kind of like zombie Conan. If, if this was a zombie book that Conan was involved in, I would assume just opening up this book that, oh my goodness, Conan has turned into a zombie. And in essence, he has. He's got these three spirits inside of him. They refer to him throughout this issue as their weapon or the, the weapon that they will use for Thulsa Doom. There seems to be some plan to bring Thulsa Doom back to life. And Conan is their weapon toward getting that done. I like how the spirits can kind of comb through his memories and they're, I mean, they seem to be specifically looking for the picked blade, the the blade that they refer to as once being a spear and being used by the spear slayer who would be Brule, the picked from back in the cold days. We learn here during this opening scene that you know, in the first arc, the first four issues, eventually Conan is given this picked blade by Brissa. He is visited by the spirit of Brule and is told to use the blade to destroy the Black Stone. And so that's what he does. And we assume then, of course, that everything is great and everything's good. We do get that bit at the end of issue four where there's a bit of that Black Stone left and some guy picks it up off the ground and he immediately is possessed. But here we learn that, yeah, he, he did put a hurt down on the vessel and whatever it represents. But in the end, it was a pretty small battle that they had won. We then learn through these memories that after Belit died, Conan went trekking across the land of Kush. He met up with a shape changer at one point and used the pick blade against this shape changer that had been stalking him. I don't know what story this is in reference to, the shape changer. And I actually reached out to friend of the show and YouTuber, Stygian Dogs. The link to his YouTube channel will be in the show notes. But 
I reached out to him because I figured he seems to know more about Conan than I do. I don't think I've made it a secret that I'm still quite the Conan novice, even though we are a year into the podcast by now. But yeah, I still don't know a lot about Conan. I've read or listened to all of the Robert E. Howard stories, but this did not strike any chords with me. This this bit here with Conan fighting a shape changer in the jungles of Kush, and it didn't ring any bells with Stygian dogs either. So I don't know. I don't know where it's from. Maybe uh, Stygian dogs suggested that maybe it is uh, some type of foreshadowing to uh, something that we're going to see in the future. Like this isn't an actual story that's been published before, either by Robert E. Howard or L. Sprague de Camp or Lynn Carter or any of the comics, and that this little bit of flashback will tie into something that we will see later in the series. This is his theory is that at this point, that this is just Jim Zub putting in a little something for us that'll pay off later. And uh, I got to go with that because I don't know any better. So if anybody else knows, let us know. Feedback at hithercameconan.com. We then get this whole series of events where Conan is going through the city and he's trying to relocate the sword because as the, the spirits are looking through his memories, he had the sword when he came to Shadazar, but all he wanted to do in Shadazar was drink his heartbreak away. And when he ran out of coin, but still had his broken heart, he sold the blade to, to, to a trader and not like a trader of the government, someone who trades in goods. And these spirits are very upset about that. And they force Conan to go through the city and track down where this blade is. And the first thing he does is he goes to the shop of this guy, Jolly, the trader, and kicks the guy's door in. And he wants to know where the blade is that he sold him three seasons past. And Jolly's son comes bursting into the room. He hears this commotion. And his son was obviously out back butchering a hog or something because he's got a big cleaver in his hand. He's got a big leather apron on. Looks like he's got a bit of blood stains on him and whatnot. And he goes for Conan and they fight. And I said he was, th- this kid was Jolly's son. No, he's his nephew. I was wrong. His name is Earl, E-R-A-L. And he's very strong. He's a strong boy, but he's no match for supernatural Conan. And Conan disembowels him. And as Jolly is screaming in terror over the disembowelment of his nephew, Conan forces him to tell Conan and the spirits where the sword is. And then this leads him to many stops throughout the city. And I think the one that concerns me the most is there's just this one panel. I mean, we see Conan forcing a guy's face into a forge, into the hot coals of a forge. We see Conan pushing somebody through a table. And then there's just this one single panel of Conan looming over the small figure of a little boy who had been gifted the sword at some point to be used as a practice sword. The child tells Conan that he only kept it a few weeks before it went on to someone else, a street thief who stole it. And then we see Conan hanging somebody off the ledge of a building and we see somebody else lying dead on the ground a massive head wound and massive chest wound and and blood all over. But we have no idea in regard to the fate 
of this little boy. And based on the fate of every single other person that Conan met during his trek, I guess, through the city trying to track down this sword, I'm afraid I have no other conclusion than to assume that this little boy is dead. And that makes me sad. And if it's true, I wonder if we're going to get more of that in the future, if that's going to be addressed later after all of this is over, maybe when Conan is no longer being possessed by these three spirits. Because come on, folks, you know what's going to happen. We're not going to have a Conan for the rest of the series for the next 20 years where he's possessed by these three spirits. That's not going to happen. But when that part of the story ends... And if he did, in fact, kill this little boy, is he going to remember that? And how is that going to weigh upon his soul? Hither Came Conan will return after these messages. Imagine a podcast that celebrates the things we love. Why spend time being so angry and cynical about our fandoms? Join me, the Irredeemable Shag, for a show where we're just trying to be happy. The Once Upon a Geek Podcast. Our discussions focus on a variety of geeky subjects that we're passionate about. While the topics will be ever-changing, our focus will be on science fiction, comic books, what it means to be a geek in this world, and other nostalgia-fueled ideas. Life is short. Focus on the positive. Find your joy. The Once Upon a Geek Podcast. Part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. And now back to Hither Came Conan. When he gets to Terminus, this museum of ancient artifacts that has been paid for by well-heeled merchants and academics. It seems to be run by some sort of church, the Church of Mitra, maybe. And Conan actually crashes in to this place through a window in, I mean, it's way up on the wall. It's at least twice as high as Conan is tall. And he comes crashing in through this window. There's a guard there. The guard goes after Conan. And Conan, at least the Conan that is being controlled by these spirits, His single focus is to get this sword, to get this ancient picked blade. And so when the guard comes at him, Conan takes his first swing at the guard. The guard tries to block it with his spear and the sword chops the spear in half. And then Conan takes another swing and chops the guy's leg off just above the knee and then just leaves him there to scream and bleed. I mean, that's brutal as hell. It's totally brutal. I think if Conan was in control of all of his faculties and he was going up against a guard like this and he cut the guy's leg off and the guy's laying on the ground bleeding and screaming, I think Conan would end his life. He would put an end to his suffering. But this zombie Conan is just chops his leg off, lets him lay there and bleed, just bleed out basically. But he ends up getting the sword and just like in the synopsis, I'm not I'm not going to spoil this ending for you. I'm all I'm going to tell you is that I'm very satisfied with the way that this arc ended. It ends in quite the cliffhanger, much different than the way the first arc ended because really the cliffhanger of the first arc was just that we thought Conan had put an end to the Black Stone and sometime later 
somebody picks up a shard of the black stone that's left over and he becomes possessed. And we're just like, oh, how's that going to play out later? But this ends in such a way that I just can't imagine what we're going to see when we open up issue nine, when the third arc starts. Because, I mean, the shape that Conan is in by the end of this issue, it's going to be kind of hard to come back from without some kind of great magical event or the interference of some sort of god, which, you know, has been known to happen to Conan. So we'll see. We'll see. I really enjoyed it. It was a great second arc. I am super pumped to get into the next arc. I am really excited to get into the event happening this summer, Battle for the Blackstone. I'm most excited that we're getting Rob De La Torre back in this next arc. And I think I read somewhere or I heard somewhere. Nope, nope, never mind. I was going to say that I, I heard that Jorge Corona, who was the artist on Middle West, the book that Scotty Young wrote, I was, <laughs> was going to say that I heard that he was going to do an upcoming arc on Conan, but I'm getting my comics mixed up. I, I think he's actually doing an arc on Transformers to give Daniel Warren Johnson a break. So not that I wouldn't love a Jorge Corona on Conan, but it would be quite the stylistic change. But yeah, I don't know what else to say about this. It was uh, uh, super, super brutal. I mean, the scale of brutality started at maybe a six with issue number five, and it's like an 11 here with issue number eight. And I'm just not even prepared to guess at where we're going next. I mean, all I can tell you is that if you're not reading these Titan books and you are a Conan fan, if, if you've been sitting back and waiting to see, I, I don't know. I don't know. what what Whatever you're waiting for, stop waiting. Get in here and start reading these. These are great, great books. You're going to get that Robert E. Howard feel. You're going to get some of that Marvel feel. You're going to get some of that Dark Horse feel. It's already one of those classic Conan comics. It just is. And if you call yourself a fan of Conan and you call yourself a fan of comics and you're not reading this title, it better be because you can't afford it. I can get behind that. I can understand that. You can't afford it. All right. Maybe someday eventually you will. And hopefully they'll still be available digitally through a place like Comixology because it's it's great stuff. This is a, a, a great, fun, exciting, scary, bloody, brutal, violent, sexual series that uh, I'm glad I got in on right from the beginning because I think it's just going to get bigger and better from here on out. And those were my favorite bits, folks. And with my favorite bits out of the way, I don't have anything left to say about issue number eight of Conan the Barbarian from Titan Comics and Heroic Signatures. Everybody out! In our next episode, we will continue with the Dark Horse run on Monday, March the 4th, as we look at Conan number two, the Frost Giant's daughter. And before I forget, the recap that I read of issue number seven, you know, that I read there at the top of the show, that came directly from within issue eight, word for word. It's part of the On the Road of Kings section on page two. Now, I don't think I can let this podcast end without mentioning Savage Sword of Conan number one, 
the new black and white magazine from Titan Comics and Heroic Signatures, which happened to land the very same day that this issue landed. And I have read it. I will be doing an episode on it. But, you know, I promised everybody six episodes in a row, six weeks in a row anyway, of the Dark Horse Conan run. The first six issues, six episodes, six weeks. And I'm trying to stick to that. But knowing that these other comics that I typically talk about have been released during this time, that's why you're getting this episode on Friday, March the 1st, instead of Monday, March the 4th. You know, so we can still maintain six weekly episodes of the Dark Horse Conan run, just with a couple of other episodes stuck there in between on a Friday. And that's what we're going to do with Savage Sword of Conan. You're going to get that on Friday. March the 8th. And I'm really looking forward to talking about that one because it was pretty damn good. Now, before I let you go, because that's where we're at, we're at the end of the episode, I have one last little bit here. I am asking, nay, I am begging you, if you like Hither Came Conan, please leave a rating for the show over on Apple Podcasts because it helps other listeners just like you find the show. If you don't use Apple Podcasts, but the app you do use allows you to leave a rating. Please, 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 please do so. I would super appreciate it. Conan would appreciate it. Heck, Crom might even appreciate it as well. Crom laps with your four wins. Well, maybe not Crom, but still, it would make this guy right here super happy. So leave a rating, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening to the show. But hey, with that out of the way and the show slowly coming to an end, Make sure that you're keeping your swords close by. Never stop treading them jeweled thrones. And you know what? <laughs> I'm going to stop myself for a second because there's always a part of me whenever I end it, whenever I end the show and I talk about you keeping your swords close by, I'm going to feel like a real dope for saying this, but I am not in any way proposing that folks go out and buy swords and sharpen them up and keep them next to their bed and get ready for some kind of revolution. I'm just trying to say a thing that sounds cool at the end of the show. Okay, that's all it is. I have no agenda here. Okay, don't go out there with swords and start sticking people with them. Okay, please don't do that. And the last bit that I say at the end of the show should help folks understand that when I'm talking about keeping your swords close by, I'm really not asking you to use the, you know, use them in any way because I also say to be nice to each other, don't I? Because I want people to be nice to each other. It's okay to have a sword, swords are cool. Just don't stick people with them. Not unless they stick you first. Anyway, make sure you're keeping your swords close by. Never stop treading them jeweled thrones. And as always, be nice to each other. Bye. I want to thank you for listening to this episode of Hither Came Conan. Questions and comments can be directed to feedback at hithercameconan.com or come join us on social media. Just look for at Conan Podcast on Twitter and Blue Sky and at Hither Came Conan on Instagram, Threads, and Facebook. If you enjoyed today's episode, please rate the show over at Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. Donations to the show can be made at donate.hithercameconan.com or become a member of the Super Secret Steven Society and get episodes early and ad-free. Join now using the link in the show notes or go to secretsociety.hithercameconan.com. Memberships start at just a dollar a month. 
feuds did Conan fight, honor and fear were heaped upon his name. In time, he became a king by his own hand. This story shall also be told. Hello and welcome to another episode of Hither Came Conan. After a vicious battle that would have felt... Take a drink. Take a drink, folks. Conan notices that Belit is holding the ancient picked blade that he had acquired from Brissa at some point in the first four issues. Conan notices that Belit is holding the ancient picked blade, the one that he had acquired from Brissa at some point in the... Conan notices that Belit is holding the ancient picked blade, the sword that he had acquired from Brissa sometime back in the first four issues. And he... Uh. Conan notices that Belit is holding the ancient picked blade, the sword he had acquired from Brissa at some... Jesus, fuck, this is a hard sentence to say with one breath. Why'd you write it that way, dumbass? <laughs> Greg, we love hearing from readers who understand there's more to our... <laughs> Greg, we love hearing from our readers. <laughs> I don't know why I'm having a little bit of a problem. That one dumb sentence. In issues to come, you'll be pleased to find that a... Just don't think I can move through life knowing that a guy named Steven did this to me. How could you let this happen, Steven? Enough talk! Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. 